I think she did it. Now, maybe I want to think that, because, like you say, it could be Shutterbug. Schadenfreude. Are you ready? Relax. Denny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and love. Good God, y'all. From Forest Rain Studios, the home of Boston-Legal.org, you are connected to Boston Illegal here and now. It's Thursday, October 6, 2005, just a few days after Boston Legal Tuesdays. I'm Dana Greenlee, and you're listening to Boston Illegal. It's the unofficial weekly audio experience of the TV show Boston Legal that David E. Kelly puts together every week, along with ABC and 20th Century Fox. Today's Boston Legal Radio, essentially a discussion between Kyle and myself about the second episode of Season 2. That's 2-2, and it's called Schadenfreude. The podcast that you are listening to right now, as you well know if you downloaded it, is at boston-legal.org. You can also find it at the podcast portal directory, Odeo, at odeo.com. You can do a search for Boston Legal or James Spader or Denny Crane or any of those, and it'll come right up. Or you can Google Odeo, Boston Legal, and it'll find it. And new this week, we're in iTunes. We knew we were going to be in there eventually. Anybody can listen to an iTunes but if you have an iPod, of course, and other MP3 players, you can just dock it and download Boston Legal. You can subscribe to it and you get it fresh as soon as it's posted each week. Well, without further ado, I'm going to welcome Kyle Abney once again. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good to be back again. Yes, you decided to come back another week. We'll just do this week by week. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm welcome to come whenever you want me, so here I am again. I always want you, Kyle. And you're the official reviewer for Boston Legal at TV Tome, and TV Tome was the, well, I should say the late, great TV Tome. Yes, the late, great. <sighs> but you write excellent reviews, and we are now posting them at boston-legal.org. Yeah, but thank you again. Everybody who listened last week, you'll, you'll be familiar with Kyle's insight into the show and his masterful um, understanding of the six degrees of connections between all different kinds of shows in Boston Legal. <laughs> right. If you did miss last week, that's when we started um, talking about The Black Widow, which was season two's premiere episode. Definitely listen to it if you missed it, because that was an hour and something, wasn't it? Yeah, we went on a little bit longer than we had planned, but I think there's some good content in there still. Oh, it's all good content. Ours and, of course, the sound bites that we include from the show each week. This week we have fewer sound bites, but still representative of each of the storylines and some really moving scenes. I think I think people enjoy this. Yep. Before we jump into that, let's talk a little bit about the news around Boston Legal this past week. In fact, why don't you just go ahead and read the numbers for this? Is the ratings the fast overnights from Nielsen for Schadenfreude? Let's see if I can yeah. pronounce that properly. <laughs> I had some trouble with it last week, too. Take it away, Kyle. Um, the households for this, this second episode of Season 2 of Boston Legal, um, 7.9 out of 13. That's number 5. Adults 1849, 3.7 share. That's number 7, which, like I said before, is better than last week, showing improvement in this demographic. So that's always a good thing. Um, compared to last week, the ratings were 8.6 out of 14, which was fourth for the night, and adults 1849 was only a 3.4. So while overall the ratings did experience a little bit of a slide. The demographic that we're looking for did go up, and it's to be expected that the ratings dip a little bit because 
season premieres and finale are traditionally the highest rated episodes of the season. And and so. also I think that, you know, also we'll be seeing more people tune in as they realize it's Tuesday, not Sunday. Might I just say, this was an alarming, you won't find it now if you go there, but I still have a screenshot of it on the front page of boston-legal.org. <laughs> you go to abc.com, go to the Boston Legal page, nice website. Um, however, then they do have videos for the coming episodes or recaps of the past episodes. But they had right there on the video page, be sure and watch this week, this Sunday. <laughs> they had a Sunday, not Tuesday. <laughs> Which, of course, is the night it aired on last year. Yeah, so. And it hasn't aired on Sunday since March. <laughs> right. So ABC, a little bit behind. Yeah. I noticed they took it off. Uh, I think I looked this morning. It was gone. But um, it was up until then for about a week. So, again, look at the screenshot. Not to rub it in. ABC, no. you know, I understand just you're busy. Just to get a little laugh at it. Yeah. It just goes to show you go to bostonlegal.org, not abc.com. <laughs> Boston legal webpage. I think we have tons more content than that. We have too. way more content. Right. It's a lot better, too. Okay. All thanks to you, of course. No, no, and you. I and should you. say we. We, yes, it's we. Okay, Kyle, why don't you tell us some other um, interesting news surrounding the Emmys? Of course, William Shatner won his Emmy, but it goes it goes further than that. Couple Last couple of years, I've been seeing this in the news. Um, stars who go to the Emmys wear all these expensive suits, dresses, clothes that they're probably only going to wear that night anyways. They donate them to charity. To, they donate them and they are bid on and they try and raise money for charity. And our own William Shatner, who of course plays Denny Crane on Boston Legal, has donated his shoes from the 57th Annual Emmy Awards. His shoes are up for auction through a program called Closed Off Our Back. He donated his shoes and I think the charities that the auction are going to be benefiting are the Hurricane Relief, uh, the UNICEF's work in the Sudan, which, of course, is the Darfur situation there. Half the Sky and Cure Autism Now. And the style of the shoe is a Coulter Black patent. It's uh, The size is 9.5 U.S., 42.5 European. And you have uh, William Shatner's autograph on the heel. So if you're interested in that, check it out um, at www.closeoffourback.org. And the next bid, when we checked it last, was $325. A bargain. <laughs> a bargain for for an autographed shoe from the Emmys. The Emmy winner too of the that Emmy category. winner. That's priceless. It's right not there. just some random celebrity. <laughs> and of course, it's all it's all for a good cause too. That's right. I'm sure it's tax deductible. Right. Want to quickly run through some of the updates at BostonLegal-Legal.org just in case you haven't been there lately. But uh, there's a new video from Schadenfreude, seven minute segment that kind of runs through Kelly Nolan's trial where she's cross examined. Uh, there's a little bit about Denise. Bauer and her challenging the alimony situation. We'll be covering all this in this uh, today's podcast, but go check out the video to see some of the, the action surrounding the audio. Also, there's a new article up at the Northern Illinois University School paper, the college paper, did an article on their alumni, Justin Mintel. Who's Justin? Kyle? He plays Garrett Wells. That's correct. And I guess they're all excited because the guy just graduated and, you know, a matter of months, he was flown out to audition for Boston Legal stayed in a hotel within a day, his agent called him, got it, signed a seven-year contract with ABC. Is that golden or what? He's a prodigy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I was talking to someone on the phone today, actually we'll hear a bit from her in a minute, who's very enthusiastic about Garrett Wells, Justin Mintel's character, thinks he's going to be a great addition to the show. Just really interesting to see which way he's going to swing as far as ethics. Right. Is he going to be the next Alan Shore? Is he going to be the next Brad Chase? We'll, oh, see. we'll see. What about that? 
Also, thanks to I'm a Mess. I'm a Mess is a contributor to boston-legal.org. She sat down and transcribed the whole Black Widow episode in a day. And it's now up on the site. This is not a script. And, you know, actually to reprint a script is illegal. It's all copyrighted, of course. But I don't think there's any problem with just transcribing it, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. All the same, we put it in a PDF format. So you can't just like willy-nilly copy-paste and send it around. So check it out. I also wanted to just mention that, I mean, I'm pretty happy about this. I think this is indicative of the success of the show, of course. The traffic to the website skyrocketed on uh, the Wednesday following the Tuesday episode. Wednesdays are, the day of the episode's pretty good. The day after the episode's outstanding. And we had just thousands and thousands. Well, let me just say, this was the highest day ever since we launched the site July 2004, which I must mention is like three or four months before the show actually premiered in the first place. Our previous record was around, I think it was September 19, the day after the Emmy win this past month. And this was several thousand more than that. So that tells you, people were coming and checking it out. Congratulations, Dana. Want to hear from you guys, anybody that's listening and has an idea about the show. Things like um, your favorite scene from the episode or any episode, your favorite actor, uh, why you like them in that show. And this one's interesting. Who would be your dream cast guest star that you would hire if you were in the casting office? I'm sure that you've seen how they've sort of matched up people that have been in shows with some of the stars of Boston Legal before. Can you think of anybody you'd like to see on there? Kyle, do you have a dream guest that you'd like to see on Boston Legal? It'd be difficult to narrow it down to one, but um, as some of you probably know if you've read some of my reviews in the past, one of my favorite shows is Alias. And I would love to see the man who plays Jack Bristow on that show, Victor Garber, on yes. Boston Legal. I think he would be a great, I don't know if, how, if he would be a criminal, maybe, or someone in the vein of Kelly Nolan, someone who's committed a crime, but you're not sure if they did it or not. I just think he has some of the, the greatest lines on Alias, and I think he's also been on Will and Grace, and he has a good um, flair for comedy as well. So I think... He would be a really good match for Boston Legal. Oh, if they could only get him. I know he works hard, though. He Alias. does, and he also has a stage career still. So He's he's an amazing actor. It's been a long time, and I wasn't even aware until, of course, now he's reached star status, of course. Right. That's actually an outstanding casting call. I think that would be great. I think it would be, too. Why don't you just, for a moment, Kyle, mention the phone number that people can call and leave a voicemail and uh, how they can email us. If you want to call us and leave a little voice message, you, you can call anytime. Hopefully try and call as quickly as you can after the episode airs so that we can get it into the podcast. The number is 1-800-986-8290. That's toll-free in the United States. And you can email us directly at bostonillegal at gmail.com. Thank you. And I did, in fact, receive an email that I wanted to include, but then I thought better of it. This was an email I received from Deb from Montreal, and she made some really interesting points that I just had to get her on the phone, actually. So what I'm going to do is, um, in a moment, play a little teaser from our phone conversation. But it's going to be, we ended up talking about a half an hour, and, and it was very interesting. So I want to make this its own special program, aside from our weekly podcast. This will be part of the subscription, though, that I would like to call Parallel Universe Trek in the Courtroom. Deb had an idea that there actually it's a lot of people have had this idea. It's a major discussion point on many sites. Uh, the parallels between Star Trek and Boston Legal, besides the obvious William Shatner and Rene Obajuan, Obajuan, 
the guy that plays Paul Lewiston. <laughs> <laughs> and so let's just listen a little bit about some of the few points that Deb noticed. Specifically with, you know, Star Trek, I find that in some of the episodes, there's these little nuggets that nuggets that <laughs> creep up uh, every so often, which sort of send up my Star Trek antenna. Uh, for instance, in the Schadenfreude episode, uh, he mumbles to Alan Short in the courtroom after the cop makes his testimony and says, well, there's one cop who will never make a captain. And, you know, it's only a Star Trek reference, but it's also a T.J. Hooker reference because of the cop and the captain in the same sentence. And I don't call that coincidence. There was um, a lot of phrases that were used in Star Trek, like lock and load. You know, that's one of Kirk's favorite. And then now Did he use lock and load in Star Trek? Yes. Oh, my God. I had no idea. Yeah, that was one of the lots of load was something that Kirk had said. And I don't think it was actually in the series. It may have been one in, in one of the movies. And lock and load is used by um, McCoy and uh, another character in Star Trek. Even, I think, I didn't even think Spock said it once. But, or, or no, 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 Data, Data, Data in, 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 in the next generation. The one I love the best uh, is the, uh, what was his name? His name was David Marcus. David Marcus was, was Captain Kirk's son, who he never knew he had a son, oh. okay, until he comes marching back in his life during one of the movie episodes, which I believe was the, uh, the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. You know, because he has to hook up with his, his ex-scientist uh, girlfriend, lover, wife, and then he finds out that she actually had a child by him by the name that's of, right. you know, David Marcus, and that's Donnie Crane. The Kobayashi yes. Maru, right. apparently... When Kirk was taking his captain's test, there's a test of character called the Kobayashi Maru in which he has to take his ship into an unwinnable situation. And it's how it's a test of character to show how, how a captain would face death. Mm-hmm. But, you know, during his final exam at Starfleet or something like this, he rigs the program so that the, it's an actually it becomes a winnable situation. He cheats at this test. <laughs> Okay, and he has never faced death, and it is his weakness throughout the show. The Kobayashi Maru is the his desire to win at all costs. That sounds familiar. And Alan Shore and Denny Crane will win at all costs. They will rig it, okay, they will not lose. And it was the essence of Captain Kirk. So he wasn't this uh, moral, ethical icon. No, he bent the rules. Captain Kirk bent the rules all the way through his career. He bent the rules with regard to the Prime Directive, which means non-interference in other worlds. That's but true. He, built, he, he bent the rules with regard to time travel. <laughs> or actually, the time travel directive came because of his shenanigans of going around in and out of time. <laughs> there are, of course, many more. And, and this is a big topic of conversation among the Trek circles. And I think this is a brilliant move on David Kelly's part if he's doing this consciously, which it does seem with the preponderance that he is, because you hook in the rabid fans of Star Trek and you've got a loyal audience and then they're going to be watching for clues. Right, especially since the last incarnation of Star Trek is just recently bowed out. We no longer have a Star Trek on the air. Well, it's time. Oh, also, I do want to play a quick soundbite from Deb as well. Her dream guest that she would like to see on Boston Legal. Is a romantic interest for Danny Crane in the actress Joan Collins, because there was this unremitting love scene that happened in Star Trek between Captain Kirk and Edith Keeler, as portrayed by Joan Collins. Wow. You know, and I'd love for her to come back with that one line that she had in that show, that episode called The 
city on the edge of forever. She says, a lie is a very poor way to say hello. And it was a powerful line and, you know, really one of her tremendous roles. Unlike anything, she doesn't, you know, the complete opposite of the bad girls that she's always portrayed or the damsels in distress that she's always portrayed in her later career. This was truly a sumptuous role for her. Thanks, Deb. We really appreciate it. And if any of you have some thoughts, again, just email us. Give us a call. The phone number and the emails are right there on boston-legal.org's website. Kyle, it's time. We're Let's gonna get talk. into the episode. Now, we have some storylines. We're going to take this storyline by storyline. Why don't you quickly recap just the four, three, four major storylines? We had a couple stories always interweaving in and out of the episode, as is usual. Um, we had the continuation of the Black Widow plot with Kelly Nolan. We had Denise Bauer continuing with her conflict with her soon-to-be ex-husband over alimony. And we had the Tara and Malcolm war story with um, Edwin Starr's nephew trying to sing the song War. And we had the continuing friendship between Bernard Farian and Catherine Piper. I don't know if we can call it a friendship anymore, but you and I will talk about talk more about that later. Sounds good. Before we jump into Black Widow, did you notice any tone change in this episode? Did it seem like there was some difference between this and the Black Widow or some of the other episodes? Well, that's interesting because last week we got that email that saw more of a shift towards comedy. And here in this episode, it was something of the opposite. is more of a shift towards drama. And each one of those storylines that I just mentioned, while there were some funny things still going on with these characters, it was still a serious, dramatic story in each of those cases. And I think that's interesting. I love that. Yeah, I like the fluctuation. Let's start out by playing a bit of a soundbite from the courtroom. This is at the very beginning of the episode when uh, Kelly Nolan, who is the Black Widow, is in court to actually face charges against murdering her husband. And this happened when Denny kind of spoke out of turn and the judge didn't take too kindly to that. Mr. Crane, approach, please. I have instructed Mr. Shore, I will so instruct you, not to make comments to undermine my courtroom. Mr. Shore has already bought himself a jail sentence at the conclusion of this trial. I'd have no compunction about assigning him a bunkmate. I'm sorry, Honor, I have, uh, mad cow disease. I think you do, too. Look at his eye. Your Honor. (laughs) Denny. Denny prefers to think of it as a mad cow disease because it's much more extravagant and flamboyant. He embraces it. Nothing as mundane as Alzheimer's or... Of course not. Well, I mean, then it sounds more like an affliction. Here it's it's a thing you can turn into a joke. Exactly. Well, Denny can't do anything subtle. You know, it has to be... Everything's big. He's the only person in America with mad cow disease. (laughs) It's true. Oh, man. Later, as well as, as we progress into that courtroom scene, Alan is really deliciously funny when he starts <laughs> accusing Francis Stadler, who is the housekeeper for Kelly Nolan. He, of course, is trying to deflect the guilt to someone else. Is that not right? Right. And he has an interesting way of doing it. Why don't you, because we're going to hear the soundbite, but we won't be able to visualize it. So do you want to describe a little bit about some of the motions, or, or should we do that after <laughs> we play this? I just thought it was great how... At first, you really didn't know what he was doing because it looked a little bit like he was stretching. (laughs) And why would he be stretching? He's in a courtroom. And then, of course, he's pointing the finger. So 
it was a little bit of foreshadowing. It was a little bit of setup. I mean, it was extravagant, but it was effective. So let's let's hear the clip. Mr. Noland and his wife had an arrangement, did they not? Where she was permitted to date other men? All I can tell you is he wasn't happy about her and the boyfriend. Was he angry about it? Yes. Did he ever despair over it? Sometimes. In fact, he suffered a few bouts of depression over the last couple of years, didn't he? Minor. Mr. Shore, what are you doing? Just loosening up, Your Honor. Did you kill Joel Nolan? What? Yes, you had access to the watch. Mr. Shore, you better have a good faith basis for this. I'd love to have a basis, but since the police didn't investigate the possibility, I'm limited. It would have been so nice if the police had actually gathered evidence for the purpose of arriving at a conclusion instead of supporting a preconceived one. Don't you agree? Object. That is stricken. I will seek counsel in chambers. I warned you not to make a mockery of these proceedings. It was damaging testimony. I had to do something distracting. It was either accuse somebody or drop my pants. You've got a little froth. I am doubling your contempt sentence. Okay, we kind of went on from there. You could actually hear him sort of stretching, couldn't you? Yeah, you you kind of could a little bit. He pointed the accusing finger, and actually that's used in the credits. That's the picture when you see James Spader in Boston Legal. So now we know where that came from. Now we know. Oh, there was a mention of the boyfriend in the court. Can I just make a little mention of who that boyfriend was? Go for it. Yeah, six degrees. Okay. We chronicled this a little bit in the Did You Know section of the website where we talk about Black Widow. Kelly Nolan had a, a boyfriend in an open relationship with this older gentleman, so uh, her husband. And the boyfriend's played by Jason Brooks. Jason Brooks, unfortunately, had no lines and was just sitting in the court, I guess, in the spectator area of the court. And so just a few quick shots of him. I think that was cut down quite a lot. Jason Brooks actually is from, and I'm not a soap opera watcher, but he's from Days of Our Lives. The only reason I know this is because um, Mark Valley was basically the antagonist protagonist relationship he had with Jason Brooks's character in Days of Our Lives, which they all started back in the late 90s on that show together. But it was kind of interesting because I actually learned about this back in March when I went to a television festival in Hollywood where they had the panel of the cast and creatives of Boston Legal. And I was able to talk to Mark Valley for a few minutes in the press area. He mentioned some of the guest stars that are coming up, and he said Jason Brooks, his old buddy from Days of Our Lives, would be on. And, of course, we weren't sure. Actually, I don't think they showed him at all in The Black Widow, even though he's credited. And then he was just shown very briefly, I think, fell victim to the editing that was done to allow for new storylines. Most likely. Which, by the way, the editor of this episode, and um, yeah, this episode, I don't know if it was the case for Black Widow, but for Schadenfreude, was Phil Neal. And Phil Neal won the ace, or he's uh, won the, what is the name of the awards they give the editors? But it's like the Oscars for the editors. Right. For, uh, for last year, for his work on It Girls and I think Hired Guns, Boston Legal won um, in that category editing and it was him and he did the editing on this show too he did an excellent job all right i know digression oh thank you very much Um, (laughs) (laughs) any other comments right now before we move on to brad getting a little frustrated with the tone of kelly nolan's demeanor we need to get into that that was an interesting show of emotion for brad do you want to set it up a little bit well i think everyone who's working on kelly's case has been a little bit frustrated with the fact that she's not showing any emotion at all and i think probably they called her cold calculated calm about 50 times each in these last two episodes (laughs) so it gets to brad the most and he kind of explodes on her 
in the background. What the hell was that? You came off as the most unfeeling person. Take it easy, Brad. Take it easy? The goal is to get the jury to sympathize with her, and she's coming off like Frosty the Snow Girl. How about this question? Do you care? Do you even care if he's dead? All right. I don't get it. Is this how you try to save your life? What was I supposed to do, cry? That might be a start. And let me tell you something. If you don't come off as human in the cross-examination, you're done. If you're not done already. I can't pretend to be something I'm not. The jury would see through that, wouldn't they? Look, what we're telling you is, if you don't let the jury in, if they don't see you as a human being, or at least a distant cousin thereof, read Old Yeller tonight, or whatever it takes, but come in here tomorrow, ready to reveal emotion. Otherwise, you'll be spending the rest of your life in jail. Well, that was a um, directive that she just flatly ignored, actually. <laughs> yes, it was. Well, I guess her you know, justification of that was she didn't want to look false, but maybe looking false would have been better than looking the way she did. But in the end, she did get off, so yeah. I guess she knew what she was doing after all. She did. I do want to get right to Alan's closing, because to me, this was a fantastic closing that ran four minutes, by the way. We're only going to play the last minute and 45 seconds or so. It also sets up the whole reason, the reason it's called Schadenfreude, right? Right. He uses it more than once in the end of this. Of and, course, Denny, looking at him a couple times, he thought he was finished. Denny shook his head no. Thought he was finished again. Still not done. By the time he got down to the Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude response, then it was over. And that's what finally, according to Denny, and of course, according to the jury, won the case. That's right. That was a very important point. I thought you, I'm glad you mentioned that, that there was a counsel that Denny offered Alan out on the balcony, mid show balcony scene. This was. It was kind of funny when, uh, he walked out and, uh, the first thing out of Denny's mouth was show over already. Because <laughs> traditionally, you know, when you see Denny and Alan together alone on the balcony, that's when the show has ended. But of course, it was only halfway through the episode at this point. So that was an interesting little in joke there. Oh, did he say something about show or show over? Yeah, he said to Alan, show over already, sort of like, you know, is your is your case over, you know, are you done? That sort of thing. Oh, and of I course it was that. you know, there's you know, a subtext there. I'm glad this is why it's so good to have two of us talking about this. Of course. We catch all that stuff. And actually then he just said, Yeah, this is gonna be a tough close. You just how do I do this? Alan asks. Well, you just keep talking until you've won him over. Then he became the orchestra the conductor of the orchestra. Correct? Right. All right. Let's see what uh, how he finally ended up the last moments of the closing for Kelly Nolan. Schadenfreude. From the German words Schaden and Freude, damage and joy. It means to take spiteful, malicious delight in the misfortune of others. We used to dismiss this as simply an ugly side of human nature, but it is much, much more than that. Recently, a Stanford professor actually captured schadenfreude on a brain scan. It's a physiological medical phenomenon. When we see others fall, it sometimes causes a chemical to be released in the dorsal striatum of the brain, which actually causes us to feel pleasure. If you watch the news or read the papers, which of course you don't because the judge said not to, but if you did, you would see the undeniable delicious joy of the media and the public over Kelly Nolan's plight. I have no doubt that you want Kelly Nolan to be punished. She married for money, she had an affair, she carried on naked in the pool with her boyfriend. She's cold, materialistic, unlikable. And it might bring you all pleasure to see her go to jail. But as for evidence, 
to establish that she committed a murder beyond all reasonable doubt, it just isn't there. The only possible route to a guilty verdict here is schadenfreude. course Denny had given him the thumbs up even Brad nodded yeah he did <laughs> they were in accord for one which is rare yes it is I like that and I thought that well have you heard the term one true pairing one true there? pairing I, I can't say I have it's sort of it's kind of like one of those vernaculars from the, you know the internet one true pairing when you get two two people that really belong oh, together oh, oh, OTP that's OTP. what that stands for OTP <laughs> okay well I'd say I've only ever seen it abbreviated and I got it what it meant out of context but that's the first time I've heard it explained thank you the same thing happened to me I think I saw OTP and I didn't know I had to google it a bit and usually it's applied to slashy relationships and in this case it's you know it is between two men yes but I think we touched on this last week a very good couple those two they are we're talking about Alan and Denny, of course. They're meant for each other. They are, and they, they seem to love it. It's like father-son. I thought that there was some similarities between uh, this closing and the, the sort of tone of it in the practice, season eight, Paul Stewart's closing. I thought that was kind of evident. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. The, the, just the tone, like you said, the tone and the way he cl- just closed the case and the way he tried to you know, and eventually won the case. It was very similar to that case, even though the outcome was slightly different. Mm-hmm. We do know the outcome. I think we could go ahead and say it now. I mean, you did mention it earlier. I did. I, I slipped. I'm sorry. No, that's <laughs> fine. And I, I mean, I think I hope everybody's seen it. At this Everyone point. who's listening has probably watched the episode. So why don't you just reiterate what happened, but also the ambiguity of it? Well, of course, you have Alan and Kelly after they've brushed past the press. They're in the elevator together and, uh, he, Alan slams on the emergency brake, so he gets some alone time with her. And pretty much up front asks her, you know, did you do it? And he lets her know beforehand that there's no way this can be used against her. You know, you've got double jeopardy pr- protecting her. You've got attorney-client privilege protecting her. There's no way this is going to come back. And she's steadfast. She still says she's innocent, but there's that little almost Mona Lisa smirk <laughs> on, her, on her face, right, as, as Alan looks at her again out of the corner of his eyes. And, you know, there's that little hint that maybe, maybe she's been lying this whole time, but, you know, you really don't know. You could, 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 could go either way. Will we see her return, I wonder? Hmm. I wonder. Depends on if they can get Heather Lockley or not. You know, we've seen Bernie come back after killing two people, right? Yes, we have. So, that was interesting. I was like, one other quick mention is sort of out of context, but, you know, I'm taking notes during this episode, and the opposing counsel also referred to Kelly Nolan's rather plain demeanor calling it a flat affect and that was like word that was the same words that bernie used in um black widow to describe kelly nolan as well flat affect and i thought okay david e. kelly really would two different people say those two words you know but, probably not you can get away with one person saying it but two i don't mm-hmm. know that's very specific wording okay not that i have any right to tell him how to write but, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for but you know we're critics. You see, yeah <laughs> well when you see we're very nice critics though. of course we're, we're really praisers yes praisers that's a, that's a new genre of, of writing about television it's not very legitimate but <laughs> no it's not we wouldn't get away with that yeah. that's okay well, you know, when, when you do see someone who writes so exceptionally. <clears throat> oh, thank you. 
No, I actually meant David E. Kelly. <laughs> I know who you meant. Okay. I was just jumping in there. <laughs> You're welcome. No, it is nice to sometimes see things that you think were probably, you would do it differently. Right. Okay, what do we know? Okay, let's talk about the next storyline. What does that set us up? We got uh, Denise's alimony storyline. She has a little bit of a conflict with her, I guess right now they'd still be uh, married, so her husband, Tim, over alimony, seeing as she was the you know, primary source of income in that relationship, and now that it is going to be broken off, she has a legal responsibility to you know, pay him alimony, but obviously she doesn't want to because she believes he's going to be using it for something frivolous. So that's the setup for that story. Let's listen into the initial meeting between Denise, Tim, and his counsel. Tim. Hey, listen, I think you remember Reverend Didham, at least hearing about him. Hello, Denise. Hi. Well, it turns out the Reverend is also a lawyer. And, well, I've decided to let him handle uh, my divorce. You're being represented by... A minister. Yeah, I just thought in the spirit of resolving this as humanely and civilly as possible, it just makes sense to well, put things, you know... You know, as I look at the numbers, uh, fortunately, it works out rather cleanly. May I? Please. You currently make $320,000 per annum. Out of love and charity of heart, you have graciously and steadfastly supported Tim in his quest to make the PGA Tour. Statistically, however, let us pray. Dear God, please continue to bless this man with the courage to persevere in the face of these enormous odds. Amen. Statistically, a 34-year-old's prospects of making the tour look bleak, assuming you were to continue paying spousal support, uh, as you are required to do by law. Speak now of alimony, taking into account inflation, your continued job growth, successful person that you are, it would cost you over two and a half million dollars over the next 10 years. That's a present day value of 890,000. Tim, with reciprocal charity of heart, is willing to discount that to 625, conditioned upon an upfront payout today. Although we would entertain structuring it over four months, if you prefer. That was rather lengthy, but I thought that was pretty funny. It was. I thought the, uh, the Reverend character was pretty interesting. He was, and his story goes on. Yeah, he's played by um, Kurt Fuller, who, interestingly enough, had a role on L.A. Law uh, way back when. So there's a little six degrees for you there. Excellent. Well, the first show that um, David Kelly was head writer for, correct? Right. Oh, that's very good. And also you mentioned last week, Tim is played by someone. Sean Christian. All right. From Summerland? Uh, Summerland, yeah. Yeah. Did you ever figure oh, and out? I lo- yeah, I looked up I, after <laughs> after last week and I, I, her name just would not come to my head. It's Lori Laughlin. Oh, yes, that's it. From Full House, yeah. Right. Okay, good. So there you go. If you listen last week now, you know, the burning question is answered. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because Denise obviously is taking this um, as a war. This is war, she says at some point. And, of course, war is also another storyline that we'll touch on here in a minute. But it's she's becoming a little emotionally involved in this. And it really falls upon her two associates, that would be Garrett and Sarah, to sort of actually resolve it for her. She steps back when she realizes that uh, even trying to manipulate who the judge is for this case didn't help her. Right. Well, you, you see the legal hierarchy of Crane, Poole, and Schmidt, you know, the, the up-and-ups. They dump all their work down down the line to, uh, in this case, it was Garrett and Sarah who were doing all the work for 
Denise, and then later on, Shirley came up to Denise, and I mean, I guess you could say gave advice, but it almost sounded like sounded like instruction it to was. not run her own divorce. And I just want to propose this. Um, sounds a little bit like Shirley had personal experience with this. Ooh. So maybe at some point in her past, she ran her own divorce. Who knows? It sounded as if she spoke from past experience, like, you don't want to do this. The way she was saying it, it sounded like, you don't want to do this because I've been there. Yes. Very good. Picking up on that. I think we do need a Shirley storyline coming yes, up. Yes, we do. We need a Brad one. We need a Lewis, Lewiston one as well. Some of the uh, underrated characters. <sighs> yeah. Should we give away what happens at the end of this one? Or at the end of? Of this particular storyline with the minister and Sarah? Or is that kind of setting up a little bit more for another um, episode? I'm not yes, sure. Yeah. We can we can talk about it now if you want, if you want. The very end of the episode, toward the end, when they're wrapping up this storyline, was that Sarah takes a page out of I guess should I call Garrett Allenshore Wells? I mean, you know, I guess if if you want, who who kind of tells Sarah implies that she should go and become cozy with the minister in in a way to sort of I guess he has some history of sexual harassment and. They want to sort of get him a little bit in a bind so that he will drop representing Tim. Do you remember the episode, uh, maybe three or four episodes into the first season when uh, Sally and Alan were working on a case together with a gentleman and he sent her in to potentially even up to sleeping with the client in order yeah. to, or the opposing, I can't remember exactly, in order to manipulate the situation. And there was a situation. Yeah. I mean, anything else you want to add on the alimony storyline? Um, I think we pretty much wrapped that one up. Well, we've got Tara and Malcolm waiting for us, and we also have Bernie and Catherine waiting for us. So let's, let's talk a little bit about Tara and Malcolm's war storyline. You mentioned something interesting last week. The character's name is... Johnny Damon. And that is known for... The Boston Red Sox player. Which, But there was no reference made, so again, I think that's just a subtle inside joke. It was. You'd have to really dig to see. I don't even think they said... I mean, I might have missed it. I don't think they even said Johnny at all during the episode. I know they said Mr. Damon. I remember the judge saying Mr. Damon, but I don't remember hearing... You know, I think you're right. Damon. So I love that. <laughs> you picked that one out. Uh, let's, let's start a little bit. Well, actually, let's just uh, set it up, and then I'm going to play the courtroom <laughs> the courtroom presentation from Johnny Damon, who is a musical artist and wants to play War, which is his uncle's, uncle's, yeah, it would be his uncle. trademark yeah. song in a club, and the club owner doesn't want it because he feels like this is anti-American to perform a song, War. Malcolm, at least, is the representation for... Johnny Damon, and he's enlisted Tara's help. Alarmingly. Which, alarmingly, yeah, which, is, which irks Alan, you know, understandably so. And it's probably going to fuel conflict in the future. We'll see. It is odd that, I mean, I cannot quite understand. Even they had a scene where Alan and Shirley Schmidt were talking about why Tara was involved in this case, because it doesn't sound like it's something that was the Cranefield and Schmidt's case. No, it, it wasn't. It, and I guess it, it may sound a little bit forced on, on screen, because obviously... They're not. She's not getting paid for it. I don't know if it's a personal favor to uh, Malcolm, but you know, whatever the circumstances are, Alan's not going to be happy about it. No. We'll jump right into the middle of the court where the judge has said, "You've got to perform this song in court. I want to hear what all this uh, fuss is about." Well, that's classic Kelly, right, from Ally McBeal. Yeah, it is. right. And it's two weeks in a row now that we've had a a musical, you know, performance in, in court. Oh, last week was it? Now I'm slipping my brain. The cello. The cello, of course. And then the previous, of course, the series premiere had Lil Orphan Annie performing in court. Yes. And so you know, we have a little theme going here. Yeah. All right. Let's let's hear this performance. Yeah. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. 
this is why I went to law school, to argue the issues. Now, are you marrying me or not? I'm still waiting for an answer. You never asked me. I didn't? Hmm. I guess I tipped my hand, didn't I? done there. If you didn't hear the underlying conversation, Malcolm sort of semi-proposed in a teasing way to Tara, and uh, she just shrugged it off, of course. And Interesting then, way to do that, too. Now we know his intentions. I don't think he's ever sort of given up on, on No, he hasn't. Well, he was her. serious when he said the one who got away, and I don't think he's messing around here. Mm. We don't know. Is she going to be in the third episode? I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I know she's credited as special guest star, special appearance by, so, you know, her continued appearances are questionable, but I don't know when exactly her fade to black will be made. Yeah. Well, let's um, find out what happened as soon as they left the courtroom, Malcolm and Tara, and uh, had a chance encounter with Mr. Shore. Well, what was with all the good God y'alls? Ah, that is vintage Edwin Starr. Good God y'all. Try it. I'll pass. No, it feels good. Good God, y'all! <laughs> <laughs> Alan, hey. Um, Alan Shaw, meet Malcolm Holmes. Pleasure. Tara's told me so much about you. Really? She's managed to be surprisingly discreet about you. <laughs> oh, Malcolm and I, we... We're... Old friends. You're the one who stole her heart. And you're the one she willingly gave it to. How's your trial going? Fine. Yours? Splendid. You're right. He's funny. Long, awkward silence there. Yeah, let me just say, awkward. (laughs) And he just basically looked, Alan did, and then turned on his heel and walked out of there. But what a look Tara was giving him from behind Malcolm's back. Right. What was going on there? What was she trying to convey to Alan? I I can't say I'm inside her head at all. (laughs) You can't get inside the head of a 25-year-old woman, huh? That's that's a bit of a jump for me. She was actually, I, I think, well, it started out with the sort of the glare of don't cause a scene. Don't, don't blow this out of proportion. But I thought I saw it softening at the end. Yeah. When she saw that it was affecting him, but of course he doesn't want anybody to see that. Well, for me too, it's easier to see his point of view because, and it's kind of interesting that to him, and later on he'll go and talk to Denny about this, for him, the fact that he walked in on her laughing with him was almost worse than if he had walked in on her kissing him. Yeah, why don't you relate that little conversation that Denny and... and well, yeah, because yeah, he walked he walked in and told her he just... He just walked in on um, Tara uh, laughing with another man, and and Denny responds, you know, you sure they weren't just 
kissing or something. And it's it's interesting little way to set that up because the laughing implies something almost emotional, like a connection. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was kissing, you know, it would be, you know, it would be a betrayal, but it would be something, at least for Alan, that he could get over easier than if Tara were to want the company of another man besides him more than, you know, she wants him. And that's basically what worries him at this point. He does intone, and I didn't, I should have actually had a sound bite for that, but he does intone to Denny, she's gone. Yeah, which is uh, something that I mentioned later on, I'll talk about later on in, in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but is out of place almost for Alan. He's not one to give up that easily, and I don't see how he would concede her so easily. Because he, he has to win no matter what? That's usually his personality. But is that different for his own personal emotional, you know, Alan and emotions? I'm sorry, the oxymoron just slipped out. (laughs) (laughs) And we haven't seen much of his, you know, romantic life other than his crazy ex-girlfriend who tried to run him over with a car, I think it was. Yeah, and the elf. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He he lived with an elf for a while. Yeah. Or a a short person, I'm sorry. Sure, yeah. I guess I'd like to see, I'd like to request that we see a little bit more in, in episode three. We don't know. We'll see. Yes, we will. We know that it was resolved one way or the other because, as we'll talk about in the next, when we close out this show, what happens in uh, Finding Nemo or Nemo. The, yeah, we, we question the pronunciation, the pronunciation of, that. of that. But there is, it looks like that he's in recovery mode at that point. So Yes, so yeah, we'll see. Let's get to our final storyline. What is that, Kyle? That is the storyline between Bernard Farion, who we all know is the Syriot Skillet Smasher, and Catherine Piper, who is Alan's new assistant after Nora exited. We have some twists and turns in this storyline. If, if, if you didn't read spoilers like me, then you were a little bit surprised by the end of this episode. You were surprised, huh? I was surprised. You did not know it was coming. I did. Well, I, I try and stick clear of um, spoiler information. It's ruined my day in the past with shows like um, Alias and Lost. Oh. And so I do, you know, I just, I stay informed, but I try not to read too many plot points because for me, that's part of the fun is, you know, trying to guess what happens and then seeing what happens. Oh, good. I'm going to keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> I won't let anything slip past here if I can at all help it. No, it, don't worry about it. I mean, I'm not 100% spoiler free. I just try and, you know, keep myself <laughs> as, you know, unadulterated as possible. As Alan said back in The Black Widow, though, that Catherine, your little friend, seems to take quite a great deal of glee out of watching Kelly Nolan, I don't know, dragged over the coals, I suppose. And he is. Let's play actually a little bit of them listening, Catherine and Bernie listening in on the television broadcast of this, the trial coverage and his reaction to that. The judge is expected to keep the jury sequestered throughout deliberations, even during weekends. In other news... Can you imagine... What I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall. I thought you didn't like being a little bug. It was a figure of speech. Catherine, I don't like the tone I've been hearing from you this week. What are you going to do, whack me on the head? I'm sorry, Bernie, but that little comment you made about feeling godly and killing people, that concerned me. I said that in jest. No, you didn't. I think maybe our friendship should take a little break. You can't do that. Why can't I? I've made a mistake. I I thought you were taller. We move on. 
You exacted certain confidences from me. Without a friendship, how can I rely on our trust? I won't betray your trust, Bernie. I just need a break. Now is not the time to leave me. I am still dealing with the tragic, unexpected loss of my mother. You killed her. But that doesn't mitigate my pain. Catherine, I need you in my life. Could we just continue to talk about this, please? Sure. Sure. Catherine talked about it, but she talked to a police detective about it, actually. What can she do? She's worried that he might strike again. And the, she was kind of stonewalled by the police, too. There's not much that uh, she could do about it, which led her to take things into her own hands. I'll leave that to you to <laughs> disclose. You might as well. A little bit of dramatic irony. She uh, whacked him on the head with a skillet. And uh doesn't look like he's going to make it. You know, let me Passed ask you, away. will you ever be able to eat mashed potatoes again without recalling Or scrambled this? eggs. <laughs> we don't know if he, he didn't make it or not, but he looked pretty out of it. And her final words were, as God is my witness, standing over his body. Oh, God is my only witness. Yeah, she noticed that no one was there to see. So maybe you know, the next thing that was running through her head was, I'm going to get away with this. Ah, it's interesting. Is she going to get caught? What could she do with the body? Will she call Alan? You know, she, we'll if she were smart, she, would, she saw how Bernard got out of his mess. Yeah. That would be the smartest thing to do would be to call Alan. I'm sorry in a way to see Leslie Jordan go. That, who he played. was a great character. He was a great character. And, and as all great characters are, I guess, they, they live better in our memories if they're a shorter term. Some, right. of the, some of them. Obviously, Alan Shore, Denny Crane. They need to continue. Brad of Chase. Course. All right, any final parting thoughts on that particular storyline before we move to the final balcony scene? No, I want to hear the balcony one. Let's do it. Hop to it. This is Denny and Alan out on the balcony in the evening, drinking their scotch. She barely reacted when the verdict was read. I noticed. How could a woman be so cold and yet so hot? One of her many mysteries. Never had my sex with her. There's no justice. Did we get justice today, Helen? I don't know. I think she did it. Now, maybe I want to think that, because, like you say, it could be Shutterbug. Schadenfreude. Murder cases are fun, I'll tell you that. Let's get another one. I'm with you. I like the pathological. It's sexy. Let's get another one like her. My eyes are peeled. His eyes are peeled. Is that any reference to something maybe he personally is looking for as well? Maybe. Uh, uh, Maybe they, right under their noses, though, is Catherine. Is she the next uh, pathological one? Let me just mention that this show is billed as a a gaggle of high-priced civil litigators. (laughs) And, And yet they seem to be dealing with criminal cases each and every week. Indeed. 
Um, oh, I like that reference, Shutterbug. I heard you say it just before we went to the clip. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was interesting because added to the list of uh, Denny Craneisms. <laughs> Shutterbug. <laughs> you know, that what this brings us to is <clears throat> the good, the bad, and the ugly. Kyle. Of course. This is the way I like to, uh, this is the way I like to close. So here we go. Second episode of season two. We've said this word so many different ways. I'm not even going to try it. So you know what it is. Start off with the good. Um, the resolution to the Black Widow storyline, I thought was sufficiently different from the Paul Stewart case in season eight of the practice. And while, uh, Kelly Nolan remained flat throughout the episode, it was still a good way to end it. It looks like, I won our little wager, though. Okay, you brought that up. I had to. I couldn't, well, let, that, couldn't let that slide. Technically, well, I guess the wager was whether she would be acquitted or not, not whether she did it or not, right? So you well, did. Whether win. she did it or not is, you know, could still be debated. Yeah. I have to work on that technical wording a little bit better next time. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I, that's why I won. And also, I, earlier I mentioned that we should add uh, Shutterbug to the running list of Denny Craneisms, but... Um, Another point I'd like to mention is his bringing up Mad Cow again, and it's been more than a few times, and that was something that was originated in Season 1, and now it's being carried on in Season 2 in more than one episode, so I think we can expect him to use uh, Mad Cow Mad Cow Silence, or you have Mad Cow Disease, more than a few times in the, in the future, although we haven't heard a, a Denny Crane in a while. So, um, Anyways, moving on. I was a little confused at uh, and a little... Uh, taken off guard by uh, Malcolm's proposal to Tara. I'm going to put that under the good, though, because it was a is a little charming little way to reveal his intentions. He's so funny. They would be good I, together, I think. I think they would, which is sad, because I do like Alan, and I don't, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to him. Alan but, doesn't, um, he doesn't need anyone, and he doesn't, he isn't what? good for anyone. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get killed for that. <laughs> you probably, yeah, you're going to get some bad email, but. Only the girls that want to repair bad boys will, are, compelled by him but he's certainly entertaining just yes, do not get in a relationship with him. <laughs> and also on still on that point of malcolm another thing i wanted to make mention of was at one point uh when he he actually lost his case and his client is not allowed to sing war because it is you know technically still the club owner's right to decide what entertainment is played in his club i thought his uh remark was uh quite funny i think he said something like bullocks i never win you did it well. <laughs> Thank you. I, I try, I've practiced my British accent for about an hour now. <laughs> I, it came off as a little like um, childish, but it was it was in a lovable way, so it was funny still. And I I, just, I love his inflection; it was great. I thought the way he said it was really funny. <laughs> and another like another like on the speech thing, um, Johnny Damon. I love how he punctuated punctuated his speech with "huh" and "good God, y'all." <laughs> I mean, every now he opened the door and you could hear the crowd, you know, begging for war. So he had to throw in a good God, y'all, as if it were normal speech and not part of the song. I thought that was pretty funny, too. We've moved on from Al Sharpton and his Godalmighty's. <laughs> right. And, um, of course, the last thing I'm going to put in the good would be Alan's closing, which everyone knows it's instant gold right there. That's great David E. Kelly writing. That's, you know, the perfect delivery that we're, we've come to expect from Spader when he has such a long, it's such a long monologue, but it was, every every word of it was important. It was it was great the way Denny was silently coaching him on the sidelines. And he, even, you got you got to trust a man who's never lost a case. Oh, that's true. He's so he says. 
<laughs> of course. Well, David you know. E. Kelly even got in a little statistics, you know, from Stanford University study that showed an actual, you know, chemical reaction to. I had soda. not heard of that. That might have to do a little uh, research and look into that. Kind of interesting. There's a great site. Oh man, that, that actually goes through and, and does the research behind each of these behind Boston Legal, and it's in my mind. But anyway, I'll talk about it next week. I'm cool. sure there's a link to it on your site too. Yes, there, there is. It's yeah, great. go to Boston-Legal.org. You can find it. I'm sure. Continue. Okay, moving on. The bad. Um, I, I'd like to mention here uh, the character of Donald Didham, Reverend Donald Didham, played by Kurt Fuller. We talked about him earlier. He's previously in, like I said, L.A. Law, but he's also um, in Anger Management, scary movie, and he had a little role in Alias. Thought I'd mention that because that's another one of my favorite shows. It's a really great name with the the two D's, Donald Didham. He's a very skeevy character, he, and and this actor has a history of playing a very weaselly character you know, that you just love to hate, and that's obviously what he is here. He's a little creepy with the whole Sarah thing that Garrett got Sarah to go in and yes. use her femininity to try and win the case. He's a sleazeball, but he's fun to watch, so we'll tolerate him for now. And also in the bad case, I'd like to mention that Tim is trying for a hell of a lot of money out of Denise, and I definitely don't trust him anymore. Suffice to say that I am definitely on Denise's side in this conflict. So that's a short bad, but moving on to the ugly, the rising conflict over Tara. Alan seems to have conceded already, but I doubt he's going to give it up without a fight, or at least a brawl in which he pays men to fight for him. So we can, <laughs> <laughs> we can hopefully expect more of a conflict between either Alan and Tara or maybe even between Alan, Alan and Malcolm in the next episode. Will she completely give in to Malcolm's advances? I do not know. And also, the last thing I'd like to mention is the good, the bad, and the ugly. The last item on the ugly would be Catherine smacking Bernie over the head with a skillet. Shocking image if you didn't know what was going to happen, and quite ugly. I did not expect that out of her, but then, of course, never expected that of him in the first place, so it's an interesting way to tie up Bernard Farian, the character. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Thank you so much, Kyle, for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Read Kyle's full reviews of The Black Widow is already posted of this yes, one coming is. soon. And this one will be posted on the Schadenfreude page when it's done. I'll try and email it a little quicker than I did the last one. I think the last one came in a matter of minutes before uh, <laughs> <It's a new laughs> Schadenfreude started. <laughs> well, how can people contact you if they want to comment on anything you've said? If you want to comment on anything I've said today or on anything that I write in my reviews, you can send me an email at aliasabney, that's A-L-I-A-S-A-B-N-E-Y, at hotmail.com, and I'll try and reply. Let me interject right here. I did, while you were explaining that, look up the great site that I was referring to and couldn't remember, Footnote TV. If you go to footnotetv.com, right on the front page, this guy who's an attorney, actually, and is very, very smart, Stephen Lee, goes through a lot of the popular shows and Boston Legal right on the front page, the picture of Boston Legal about the Schrodenfrodo episode. And he does indeed talk about the statistics, not the one we referred to, but he talks about, let's see, homicide versus the suicide statistics. And he has that researched. Um, suicide is much more likely than homicide. Is that that's what? right. Okay. And talks about uh, freedom of speech, I think, in the terms of the war storyline. Fascinating guy. I've, inter- I've interviewed him before, and I'm going to actually include um, that interview on the site sometime where he's talking about last season. Look for that. Well, uh, this has been a wonderful episode, but we've got another one looking forward to it. I want to play a quick soundbite of the next episode. Do you want to give the title? 
I think we had a little bit, a de- little bit of a debate on over how to pronounce it because play on the popular movie Finding Nemo. So, is it Finding Nemo or is it Finding Nemo? We're not sure, but anyway, here's the clip. N I M M O. Next on Boston Legal. You killed a man. I bludgeoned him with his own skillet. She just killed him. You are up for murder charges. She kills clients. This firm will defend you. I give you my word. You will have this firm's full resources. I want Alan Shore. Cancel the rest of your weekend. You're ridiculous. I'm taking you to Nemo Bay. You're telling me the fish are uncatchable? By beginner. I'll catch one. Fish on! You got one! Fish on! Another one? You really should try catching one. Miserable <laughs> that would be um, Alan Shore in fishing gear, standing in the middle of a river. <laughs> and out fishing Denny Crane, from the sound of it. <laughs> it's great. Well, this will get us mind off Tara. Any other moments you want to kind of call, bring to mind when you talk about next episode? I think the that clip covered? pretty much covered it, other than I want to mention that Shirley Schmidt seems to really support Catherine, which is unlikely. I didn't. I wouldn't expect that, but... Um, Promised her the firm's full resources, which I suppose is a nice gesture to her. I don't know the context of that. We'll see on Tuesday. Well, remember in, uh, was it Schmidt Happens or It Girls, Catherine said, I'm sucking up to you. Right. <laughs> so uh, paid it, off. Apparently it did. Also, this is the rumored, actually outright stated, spooning episode, I believe. James Spader has been on a couple, well, actually, I think it was on Conan O'Brien several months ago when he talked about they were filming an episode where... Denny and Alan wake up in bed and spooning, you know, and that's all he left it at. So, of course, you know, that just fueled the whole one true OTP, one true pairing. Of course. Rumors. OTP. But it'll be nice to see how that happens, you know. I'm yes. sure it's just cold up there in Canada. Filmed up of in course. Vancouver. Actually, um, Vancouver, I'm up in Seattle, so it's just, it's just like an hour away. There's a link on my website. I'm going to have to put it back up there now. I think it's off that goes to the lodge that they filmed at and talks a little bit about the filming of that episode not just a little bit but you know it's an actual lodge up there well that reminds me too with you you just mentioned you're up in seattle with you um in washington state and me down here in florida i think we are literally as far (laughs) away from each other as we could possibly be and still be on the continental united states (laughs) i think so technology is wonderful it is of course all right, I want to remind everybody to tell a friend to watch Boston Legals on Tuesdays at 10 o'clock. Season 2, Episode 3 is next Tuesday. That's October 11, right, Kyle? Yes, it is October 11. And that is Kyle Abney. Abney, as we sometimes want to call him. The official That's what review- I am when I review sometimes. That's right. Official reviewer of Boston Legal and Lost at the TV Tome site. But right now we're getting all his reviews over at boston-legal.org. Thank you very much, Abney. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks to everyone listening, all of you, actually, you listening right now. We really appreciate it. Email us at bostonillegal at gmail.com or call us anytime, toll free. It's a voicemail. You're not going to talk to either one of us. 1-800-986-8290. That's also on the front page of the website. Boston Illegal Here and Now is brought to you by Forest Rain Studios. That's where I'm sitting right now in a studio. And the unofficial website, boston-legal.org. All right, until next time, remember, Kyle? We look good, right? We look great. Now is not the time to leave me. Did you kill Joe Nolan? What? Get up! What the hell was that? You came off as the most unfeeling person. Take it easy, Let us pray, dear God.